Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. synagogue he would take them right to the scripture explaining and bringing to the truth the fact that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah here he's talking with pagans he's talking about the reality of the world and the world that's all around the things that they ascribe to their mythological gods he's saying no the one true God is the one who made heaven and earth he's the one that brings rain not all of these other gods you see Paul knew his audience He spoke to his audience where they were. As Pastor David continues his teaching series through the book of Acts, he'll be encouraging you to learn from the Apostle Paul's example on how to preach the gospel. Paul always purposed to his audience, and he became flexible in how he presented the good news. Some people already have a background of Christianity and need to be exhorted to make a decision. Some don't even have a basic understanding of God and need to be taught from the ground up. You can't preach the same way to everyone. Now, here's Pastor David in the book of Acts, chapter 14, as he continues his message, A Bold Determination. Some of your versions might say that uh, Barnabas they called Jupiter and Paul they called Mercury. That's the Roman equal to the Greek gods. And again, they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now in Greek mythology, Zeus, he he was the powerful deity to the Greeks. He played a powerful part in the life of the Greek people. In ancient Greek mythology, he was the god of the sky. He was the god of lightning, thunder. He was also the god of law and order and justice. And uh, again, uh, at at that position, Zeus pretty well controlled ancient Greece in their mythology, all of the mortals and the immortals alike. And as I said, he was the equivalent to the Roman god Jupiter. For those uh, that ascribe to the Greek religions, they recognize that Zeus was pretty much the father over all the gods. Whether, again, they were actual descendants from Zeus or not, he was father over all of them. Very powerful icon for the Greeks. Now, Hermes, he is described as one of the sons of Zeus. And according to Greek religion or Greek mythology, catch this, he was the god of trade, merchants, and commerce. But he was also the god of thieves and trickery. (laughs) Funny how those two go together. But then he was also the god of sports and athletes. So what a mess that is. Even today we wonder on that. 
Now, Hermes, he was, he was the emissary. He was the, the messenger for the gods, and he was also supposedly the conductor of souls onto the afterlife, uh, again, comparable to the Roman god Mercury. They must have considered Paul as Hermes, as the messenger. He was the one that was speaking. He was the one that was giving, uh, again, the, the message, the gospel present, presentation to the people. They probably looked at Barnabas probably standing in the background, probably a little bit older than Paul, looked at him as a Zeus. So the people raised their voice as they began speaking in that Lyconian language. Now there's a, probably a, a, a good chance that neither Paul nor Barnabas really understood what they were saying at first because again, the Lyconian language was a mixture of both Greek and Syriac as, as well as a mixture of kind of the, the local dialects that they had. Um, we out here in the West, we think of Spanglish, you know, kind of a combination of others. And probably they didn't quite catch it, but then very quickly the truth got through to them, particularly when they saw the pagan priest. Look at verse 13. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. No way. I mean, can you imagine Paul and Barnabas at this point in time? These guys are calling us Zeus and Hermes. They're getting ready to sacrifice to us. Again, this is total pagan blasphemy. And you got to understand, this pagan blasphemy is happening as a direct result of the power of the one true God healing this man. They have missed it totally. What was so right to begin with, so quickly turned around to go so wrong. Even in the midst of the confusion and the blasphemy though, Paul still found the opportunity to be able to further explain the gospel, or at least the opportunity to begin the message. Look what happens in verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they literally tore their clothes and they ran in among the multitudes, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, the God who made heaven the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with all of these sayings, they could scarcely retain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Let me pause right here real quick. Let me ask you the question. What's the difference between this message that he's giving to these Lyconian pagan worshipers versus the message that he would give to those that were in the synagogues. In the synagogues, he would take them right to the scripture, explaining and bringing to the truth the fact that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. Here he's talking with pagans. He's talking about the reality of the world and the world that's all around. The things that they ascribe to their mythological gods, he's saying, no, the one true God is the one who made heaven and earth. He's the one that brings rain, not all of these other gods. You see, Paul knew his audience. He spoke to his audience where they were. What was bad, Paul is working to turn around for good. The problem is, the people still would not 
Listen, they were so steeped in their pagan traditions that the message of the gospel just did not seem to be breaking through. They heard the words, but like many people, even today, when you and I share the faith of the hope that's found in faith in Jesus Christ, they just weren't listening. They just weren't listening. They had actually seen the supernatural hand of God in action. And yet they weren't willing to to acknowledge that it was him. They were trying to force fit all of that into their pagan rituals, into their pagan understandings. And this gave then, because of all the confusion, we find out in a moment that the Jews who had come against Paul and the missionary team in Antioch, who had gone to Iconium, had now followed them down to Lystra. Look what it says down in verse 14. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, this time they did stone Paul, and they drug him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. In the sight of the people of Lystra, Paul and Barnabas moved from being gods to being demons. Those that, again, looked at them, they started worshiping these missionaries as deity, and yet they ended up stoning Paul as the worst of criminals would get that charge against them. It never ceases to amaze me how far into the darkness people will go when they're not willing to accept the truth. Beloved, all we need to do is look at our nation today. And when people reject the truth of God, they run helter-skelter, but as fast as they can go into the darkness and into every unconceivable thing. Why? Because they will not accept the truth. And beloved, when you are blinded from the truth, every lie makes sense to you because you don't have anything to balance it with. The people of Lystra, they believed a lie and they didn't want to let it go. And because they denied the truth that was right in front of them, they stoned the apostle Paul to death. Well, maybe not quite to death. We really don't know for sure. Whether or not he was dead really isn't that clear either way. He could have been unconscious. He could have been right on the brink of death or And one of the quotes from Princess Bride, he could have been mostly dead, okay? (laughs) We don't know for sure. One thing we do know, Paul Paul tells the church in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, rather in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, but God knows. He said, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, rather in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a, a man to utter. Could this have been the time? Was, did, did Paul have that uh, near-death experience at, at that point in time? We don't know. We don't know for certain, but whatever happened here in Lystra, these other brothers in Christ, they were concerned about Paul. They gathered around him. No doubt they were praying for his recovery. And look what it says in verse 20. They took him out of the city, left him for dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, 
went in, went in, went into the city? Are you kidding me? Paul, those were the guys that stoned you. He rose up, went into the city, and it wasn't until the next day that he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Why in the world would you go back into that city? Because he was led by the Spirit of God. For the same reason that men like Jim Elliott would continue to go down to that Ecuadorian tribe, even after they had thrown spears at the airplane and tried to kill them, and then they got down on the ground to go and minister to these tribal people, and they killed Jim Elliott and the others on that missionary team. But that didn't stop the mission to those people. Because others on that team kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back until the truth of the gospel penetrated even the leader of that group that killed Elliot and those other missionaries. And now he speaks even about the truth of the gospel and the boldness of the men like Jim Elliot and that team that continued on and the others that followed to share the hope of the gospel. How many times does it take for the gospel message to come into the life of an individual before they're ready to receive it? Just think of your own life. Maybe, maybe you came to Christ as a, as a young person, a very young person. Maybe not. Maybe you were an adult. Maybe you had heard it time and time and time and time and time and a couple of more times again. And you still refused. You still turned against it. Maybe you, you, you spoke against it. Maybe you even blasphemed the, the Lord and the work of the Lord like these here in Lystra. But yet God in his love continued to work on your heart. Now think of those that you've tried to share your faith with. How often they've rejected. How often they say, I don't want to hear about that anymore. Beloved, I, I think the, war, the ones who are most vehemently against hearing the truth of the gospel are the ones that God is going to penetrate their heart. And they then may become the most rigorous and on fire for the hope of the gospel. Rose up from being stoned, went back into the city. The city so steeped in their culture that at that point in time they wouldn't hear the good news of the gospel. A city where the people actually stoned him, left him for dead. Yet he rose up, went back into the city. I would have loved to have seen the look on those people's faces as he walked back into the city. Wouldn't you? You kind of think, whoa. Now, undoubtedly, he's probably covered with blood, maybe a lot of bruises. But he's up and he's walking and he's coming back in to the city. Luke doesn't tell us the outcome of the return. All he says is the next day they departed with Barnabas to Derby. Look at verse 21. We move on. When they had preached the gospel to that city, wait a second. When they had preached the gospel to that city, this is Derby, they made many disciples. From Lystra, where there was a riot and the stoning of Paul, now they came to a city not 25 miles away. They were able to preach the gospel, and many became disciples. I don't know about you, but I think I would have gone home. I'd have had a good enough excuse to go home. But because Paul 
was led by the Holy Spirit because Paul had this boldness and this determination in his heart to be used by God to the fullest extent because Paul understood, man, I am crucified in Christ. I'm already dead. Paul continued on in the ministry. But beloved, that's not all of it. Look at the balance of verse 21. Then they returned to Lystra, the place where they did stone him. Then they returned to Iconium, the place where they tried to stone him. Then they returned to Antioch, where again there was a riot and they drove them out of the city. And what does it say in verse 22? In these cities, they strengthened the souls of the disciples. You see, in every one of those cities, there were some who came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Maybe it was hundreds, maybe it was dozens. We don't know, but there were some who came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And so Paul, with boldness and determination, went back through these cities, retracing their steps. And what does he tell them? He strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Here was a man who was speaking directly from experience. He wasn't spouting off some theological lesson that he had learned in seminary. This wasn't just some book knowledge that he was sharing with them. It didn't come from a weekend missionary training session that, hey, you want to go on missions? We're going to have a little training session. Hey, don't forget this is going to happen. No, nah, this, this happened to Paul. Paul was speaking from experience, and Paul was speaking to them in spite of the tribulations, in spite of the trials, in spite of the attacks that had happened. They passed through these areas where they had shared the gospel. Churches were formed. They appointed elders there because Paul, again, through the boldness and determination led by the Holy Spirit, knew that there was a purpose for his being there. Look what it says in verse 23. So when they appointed elders in every church, prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. This, these are two regions, the regions of Pisidia, that's where Antioch was, and the region of Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, that's the city where they first came to, that when we first came there, Luke didn't say anything, now they're preaching the word there. They then went down to another city, one they hadn't even been to yet, Atalia. Again, a different route, but Paul was continually proclaiming the message of the gospel. He hasn't slowed down one bit, even after the stoning. Verse 26. Now there they sailed to Antioch, going back to Antioch of Syria, where the church had anointed them and sent them out by the Holy Spirit. They had gone back to sail back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and all that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. They went back in essence home, back to the home church, shared their missionary experience, how God had moved and worked, and they stayed there 
a long time. That's the end of the first missionary journey. The unfortunate thing is the reception of the church, by the time they get back down to, to Jerusalem, we find out that the church is, is divided on this whole thing, again, of Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. The, the, the issue of religious pride, the issue of ignorance still working within the church, and yet that did not slow down or hinder the work of the gospel moving through the Apostle Paul and even Barnabas, and we'll get into those as we get into chapter 15. I want Rachel and the team, if they would, to come up right now, but let me close this with a couple of thoughts. For you and I in our lives in Christ, to be effective for the work of the ministry, for the kingdom of God, we are not called to be silent disciples. We are not called to be silent followers of Jesus Christ. Our lives, yes, need to display it in every aspect. But also, beloved, that we be praying and asking the Lord to give us opportunity to share the reality of our faith with someone. I don't know about you, but I've, I've shared my faith sometimes, and, and it seems like as, as I'm sharing my faith with someone, man, my, I'm, I'm just churning up all inside, and I'm nervous, and I'm shaking. I, I can't remember the words I wanted to say. And you say, well, well, you're the pastor. You can't do that. No, it's a whole lot easier to be able to declare these things to friendly faces. When I was working in construction where some of the guys, man, uh, you know, every other word was a word that, you know, you don't want to hear, to be able to share them, share with them. Let me tell you how much God loves you. To be able to share with them. Man, my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. I, I, I know that I have a place in heaven because I know that God in his love, even when I hated him, he still loved me and Christ died for me. You see, sometimes when we do that, man, we get all nervous. And the thing that I've realized is it's more often than not because I tried to do it on my own strength. Oh, there's an evident need. I know the guy or the gal is lost. There's no doubt about it. But am I really filled with the Spirit and moving and speaking by the Spirit? Or am I doing it on my own? Can you imagine if Paul and Barnabas and the team, they had met with the guys in Antioch, say, hey, we're, 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 we're pulling together a whole new missionary kind of a idea, and, and we think we need to go and, and just share the gospel with people in these pagan nations. Who volunteers? And Paul and Barnabas and a couple of others volunteer, and they go out. Says, well, okay, so here's some money to pay for your boat ride and a few other things. Go out there and share the gospel. God bless you. Go. And they went on their own strength. Do you think that the attacks of Antioch might have stopped them right there? How about in Iconium where they tried to stone them, but they were able to get away from there? How about when they actually did stone them? That's it. I'm done with missions. But you know what? Because they were led and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. Trials and tribulations came. The attack of the enemy came. Threats of death came. Paul speaks of all the things that he's gone through in life there in 2 Corinthians, because he served the one true God, because he was led by the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, I still continue. I still continue. For you and I to ask, to plead with, Lord, 
fill me with your spirit that I might be able to share the hope of the gospel with my next door neighbor. Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love, too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word. The Open Word.